0: European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 37, Issue 31, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lusher. Atrial Fibrillation and Stroke, Risk Factors, Anticoagulation, and Left Atrial Appendage Occluders Atrial fibrillation is one of the most common arrhythmias. Its incidence and prevalence increases with age, particularly in patients with hypertension and heart failure. Although by itself not a particularly dangerous arrhythmia, atrial fibrillation is associated with a considerable risk of stroke. Of note, patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure have a higher risk of thromboembolic events and overall mortality compared to those with atrial fibrillation without heart failure, as reflected by the CHA2DS2VASC score. Importantly, The prevalence of atrial fibrillation increases with the severity of heart failure. The use of vitamin K antagonists is more unstable in patients with concomitant atrial fibrillation and heart failure, which is an independent risk factor for reduced time under therapeutic range. Thus, the Clinical Review Antithrombotic Therapy in Heart Failure Patients with and Without Atrial Fibrillation, Update and Future Challenges, by Rao Pedro Ferreira and colleagues from the Centre Hospitalier Universitaire de Nancy in France, is a timely update for the clinician. Of importance in this context, non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulants, or so-called NOACs, have emerged as therapeutic alternatives for stroke prevention in patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation as they are at least as efficacious and safe with less intracranial bleeding events compared to vitamin K antagonists. The subgroup analyses of the NOAC trials in patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure revealed that the efficacy and safety of these agents are likely to be similar to those observed in patients with atrial fibrillation without heart failure. However, many gaps in evidence exist, since heart failure has neither been consistently defined nor used as an endpoint in these trials. In patients with heart failure and sinus rhythm, the risk of stroke and other thrombotic events is high, and the use of warfarin has not, to date, been shown to confer outcome benefit. In the ongoing COMMANDER-HF trial, the benefit of one of these molecules, rivaroxaban, is being investigated in heart failure without atrial fibrillation, and other trials with similar scopes may follow. Overall, this review updates previous recommendations, and provides an insightful perspective on the use of antithrombotic treatments in patients with both atrial fibrillation and heart failure, and in patients with heart failure and sinus rhythm, with particular attention to the noax and provides background therapeutic outcome and trial improvement. Left atrial appendage closure is a non-pharmacologic alternative for stroke prevention in high-risk patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation. Indeed, the vast majority of thrombi develop in this structure of the heart in atrial fibrillation. In their AHA fast-track implant success and safety of left atrial appendage closure with the Watchman device, periprocedural outcomes from the evolution registry, Lucas Boersma from the St. Antonius Hospital in the Netherlands, presents the results of the Multicenter Evolution Registry that evaluated the procedural success and complications and long-term patient outcomes, including bleeding and incidence of stroke and transient ischemic attack, in 1,021 patients, with a CH2DS2VA score of 4.5 and a HAS-BLED score of 2.3. Almost half of the subjects had a history of transient ischemic attack, ischemic stroke, or hemorrhage stroke, and two-thirds deemed unsuitable for NOACs by their physician. The device was successfully deployed in 98.5% of patients, with no or minimal residual flow achieved in 99.3% of implants. 28 subjects experienced 31 serious adverse events within one day of the procedure. The overall 30-day mortality rate was 0.8%. The most common serious adverse events occurring within 30 days was major bleeding requiring transfusion. Incidence of serious adverse events within 30 days was significantly lower for subjects deemed to be ineligible for oral anticoagulation compared with those considered eligible for it. The authors conclude that left atrial appendage closure with the Watchman device has a high success rate in complete left atrial appendage closure with low and periprocedural risk, even in a population with higher risk of stroke and bleeding, and multiple comorbidities. Improvement in implantation techniques has led to a reduction of periprocedural complications, previously limiting the net clinical benefits of the procedure. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Frederick A. Masoudi from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in Aurora, Colorado, USA. This issue is further analysed in the paper Outcomes and Costs of Left Atrial Appendage Closure from Randomised Controlled Trials and Real-World Experience Relative to Oral Anticoagulation, by Tom Wong and colleagues from the Royal Brompton and Harefield Hospitals in London, UK. The authors analysed randomised controlled studies and real-world outcomes of patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation undergoing left atrial appendage closure with the Watchman device and compare costs with available antithrombotic therapies. Registry data of left atrial appendage closure from two centres were prospectively collected in 110 patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation at risk of stroke with a CHA2DS2VASC score of 4.5 and a Hasbled score of 3.8, suitable and unsuitable for long-term anticoagulation. Outcomes from PROTECT-AF and the registry study Left Atrial Appendage Closure were compared with warfarin, dabigatran, Riveroxaban, Apixaban, Aspirin, and no treatment using a network meta-analysis. Procedural success rate was 92%. During 24 months of follow-up, the annual rates of stroke, major bleeding, and all-cause mortality were 0.9%, 0.9% and 1.8% respectively. Anticoagulant therapy was successfully stopped in 91% of implanted patients by 12 months. The stroke and major bleeding rates of the registry left atrial appendage closure were significantly lower than those of Protect AF, with a mean absolute difference of stroke, 0.89% and 5.48% for major bleeding left atrial appendage closure achieved cost parity between 4.7 years compared to dabigatran 110mg and 8.4 years versus warfarin. At 10 years, it was cost-saving against all therapies. Thus, in non-valvular atrial fibrillation in a real-world setting, left atrial appendage closure appears to result in lower stroke and major bleeding rates than reported in clinical trials. In both settings, the procedure achieves cost parity in a relatively short period of time and may offer substantial savings compared with current therapies. Savings are most pronounced among higher-risk patients and thus unsuitable for anticoagulation. Atrial fibrillation is increasingly treated with catheter-based ablation techniques. However, it is still unclear if catheter ablation affects the prognosis or is merely a symptomatic treatment. In their paper, catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation is associated with lower incidence of stroke and death, data from Swedish health registries. Life Freiburg and colleagues from the Karolinska Institute at Danderyd Hospital in Stockholm, Sweden, therefore studied the association between catheter-based ablation for atrial fibrillation, ischemic stroke and mortality. To that end, they identified all 361,913 patients with a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation in the Swedish patient registry. During a seven-year period, 5,176 atrial fibrillation ablations were performed among 4,278 individuals. Patients who had undergone catheter ablation on average were markedly younger, i.e. 59 versus 75 years, and had a lower CHA2DS2VASC score of 1.5, while others had a score of 3.6. After propensity matching, 78 patients suffered an ischemic stroke in the ablated group compared to 112 in the non-ablated group. Hence, the annual rate was significantly lower... With 0.7% than in the other with 1.0%. Similarly, less patients, annual rate of 0.77%, died in the ablated than in the non-ablated group, annual rate 1.62%. After multivariable adjustments, catheter ablation was associated with lower risk of ischemic stroke with a hazard ratio of 069 and with lower mortality risk, with a hazard ratio of 0.5. Stroke reduction was most pronounced among patients with CHA2DS2VASC score of more than or equal to 2, with a hazard ratio of 0.39, and among patients without new cardioversions beyond 6 months after the ablation, with a hazard ratio of 0.68. Thus, ablation may be associated with lower incidence of ischemic stroke, and death in patients with atrial fibrillation. This beneficial finding appears more pronounced in patients with higher thromboembolic risk. These preliminary findings in a huge, non-randomised cohort are put into perspective in a critical editorial by Jens Cossidis Nielsen from the Università Cattolica del Santo Cuore in Rome, Italy. While the diagnosis and management of atrial fibrillation is more and more evidence based, the handling of rarer conditions such as the long QT syndrome is more challenging, both based on ECG, echocardiography, or genetic screening. The Heart Rhythm Society, together with the European Heart Rhythm Association and the Asian Pacific Heart Rhythm Society, provide criteria for that diagnosis that are used in the manuscript Probability of Diagnosing Long QT Syndrome in Children and Adolescents according to the criteria of the HRS, the EHRA, and the APHRS Expert Consensus Statement by Masao Yoshinaga and colleagues from the National Hospital Organization Kagoshima Medical Center in Kagoshima, Japan to determine the probability of Long QT syndrome in children and adolescents based on the HRS, EHRA, and APHRS criteria. To accomplish this, the authors used data of a school-based electrocardiographic screening program in Japan involving 32,982 1st and 34,572 7th grade students, aged 6 and 12 years respectively. After the first, second, and third screening, 10 first and 32 seventh graders were considered as having a high probability of Long QT syndrome according to the HRS, EHRA, and APHRS criteria for Long QT syndrome. The probability of diagnosing Long QT syndrome by the screening program was 1 in 3,298 and 1 in 1,080 in first and seventh graders, respectively. Furthermore, three seventh-graders were already diagnosed as having Long QT syndrome. Therefore, the overall probability of diagnosing Long QT syndrome was one in 3,298 and one in 988 in first and seventh-graders, respectively. Thus, based on the HRS, EHRA, and APHRS criteria, Long QT syndrome occurred in approximately one in 3,300 subjects, aged six years, and one in 1000 in those aged 12 years. The findings are thoughtfully discussed in an editorial by Robert J. Meyerberg from the University of Miami School of Medicine in Florida, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.